Before Ashley comes and brings the word of God to us, let's read a passage from Scripture. We're going to read from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and chapter 37, from verses 3 to 11. And this is the story of one of God's people who knew persecution. If you think about the story of this man, Joseph, uh, and I'm sure we'll hear a bit more about that. Genesis 37, beginning at verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I reckon this would make a great Father's Day uh, passage. Uh, Dads don't have favourite kids. You never know what will happen. And when we look at the story of Joseph, one of my favourite Old Testament characters, uh, we see that, yes, his father... uh, had favourites and because of that there were consequences of jealousy and um, Joseph's one of my favourite characters. Uh, We hear that he had some dreams and if we flip forward to the end of the story we know that the dreams that he had came to pass. God had given him a gift but he was a brash immature young man and I guess that if I was giving Joseph some advice after he had those dreams I'd say now listen why don't you wrestle with God for a few days or a few weeks, why don't you journal to find out exactly what you should do with these dreams and, and then let's figure out the best way to share those dreams uh, with your family. Uh, but he was an immature young man, he was brash, he knew they were from God and so he blurted out the dreams and we find out that uh, his brothers hated him. Towards the end of that passage that's been read for us, we find out that um, Joseph's father, Jacob, also called Israel, kept the dreams in mind. And it becomes clear, though, that so did his brothers, but not in a good way. And so we see that uh, there were consequences of jealousy. And the first of the consequences of jealousy was that uh, the story picks up. We're going to come in and out of the story. We're going to start in Genesis. We're going to end in Revelation. But there might be a few bits in between I miss out, if that's okay. And so we find out that um, uh, Joseph goes out to find his brothers and from a long distance they see him and they said, here comes that dreamer, let's kill him. 
And then we'll take his coat that dad gave him and we'll sprinkle it with the blood of wild animals and we'll go home and say, oh, dad, the wild animals took your favourite son. That was uh, their plot. And, uh, you know, it's the case that uh, even today that there are plots of violence and death against those who own the name of Jesus Christ. On the screen... Uh, on the left is a photo taken in uh, November of 2016 in a part of Bangladesh where Santal Christians live. And on this night in November 2016, they woke to find their poor um, wooden houses aflame. Um, people who lived in the area and who believed that this was not a place where Christians should be had decided that they were going to torch their flames, torch their houses and uh, kill as many uh, as they could. You see some photos there, and, or the photo there, you see some images of police officers, and you might think, isn't it good to know that the police are there to help out? Well, they weren't. The police were complicit in what was happening so that these Santal Christians not only lost their homes, but they also lost trust in the community, especially those in the community who were there to protect them. And uh, so in addition to torching houses, uh, some were shot, and so the photo on the right is a fellow called Dijen, and he's lifting his shirt to show the bullet wound just above his heart. Uh, he was shot that night and ought to have been killed, but uh, he received medical treatment and uh, he lived through that uh, in that night of 2016. And so Barnabas Fund, through the generous donations of people around the world, have started what we call the Santal Housing Project to provide one room, not one bedroom, but one room homes uh, for as many of these Santal Christians as possible. And so far we've built uh, over 100, now that's helped up to 500 people, but there are still thousands who are without homes in that area of Bangladesh. As you can see in that photo, it's their homes with cement on the floor and uh, the, the structure is made of bricks, so hopefully uh, they won't burn down if there's another attack. And for each uh, six homes, there's uh, across a courtyard, a shared bathroom and kitchen. And, um, and, and these people are just blown away uh, with the generosity of folk like you and me around the world who've given generously towards them. Uh, that fellow in the photo is Dijen, the fellow we saw in the last photo. And uh, Dijen says, I don't know where this money came from, but I bless them who helped me uh, and my children. Uh, even today, around the world, we find that um, one of the consequences of being a follower of the Lord God uh, is uh, violence. Returning to the story in uh, Joseph, we see that uh, when uh, his brothers said, let's, uh, let's kill him, Reuben, uh, one of the brothers, thought, I, I don't want to shed blood. So he suggested to his brothers that instead of killing Joseph, let's just put him in that pit over there and, uh, and then we can still take the robe and we can uh, still tell Dad that wild animals got him. He'll die of starvation, but at least uh, uh, we won't have shed his blood. Now, Reuben actually had a plan to go and rescue his brother. Um, and um, uh, so the brothers did this. They put him uh, in, this, uh, in this pit. But while Reuben was away, uh, we find that um, the brothers decide that they're going to make some money out of him. And so they see this... Uh, camel train going down towards Egypt and they say I know well, we can have the best of both worlds we can be rid of our brother by getting, selling him for slavery but we can make some money out of it at the same time and we can still go home and say dad 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 the wild animals got your favorite son 
and so they sold him uh, into slavery. And again, that's something that uh, followers of Jesus know even today. And uh, there on the screen, uh, on the right, you'll see a fellow called James. On the left, I know it's a small photo, but it's a photo of James and his son and his daughter. Uh, he lives in Pakistan. And in this part of Pakistan, Christians are particularly disadvantaged. And so they're only able to get very poorly paid jobs. And so the vast majority of Christians in this area uh, work for a Muslim brick kiln making bricks with their bare hands every day. They make about a thousand bricks a day. And uh, for that, they get paid just enough to make ends meet. Now, here in Australia, if we've only got a few thousand dollars in the bank or if our superannuation uh, isn't up to what we think it should be, we think we're poor. Uh, I'm talking here about people who don't have anything in the bank because absolutely everything they make every week is what they need to spend. Now, that's all okay until something goes wrong. And in James's case, what happened was that his wife became sick and subsequently died. And so when there's a, a bill to pay, you need some money. Now, who's the only person you know who's wealthy enough to loan you some money? And the answer is the Muslim brick kiln owner, who will gladly loan you money in return for which he owns you. And uh, they don't call it slavery, they call it bonded labour. But what happens is that once you're indebted to uh, the brick kiln owner, uh, every week he takes out of your wage something towards some of the interest, not all of it, some of the interest, um, and so the debt is just going up and up and up because the interest is building. And, uh, and remember that you just had enough to make ends meet, and now you've got less than enough to make ends meet. What do you do? Well, one of the things you do is instead of working six days a week, you work seven days a week in the hope that you can make a little bit more money. Now, that deprives these people of Christian community. And it also means that they're getting more and more worn out. Another thing that you do is uh, you have your sons and sometimes your daughters, instead of going to school, you get them to work in the brick kiln with you in the hope that they will make not a thousand bricks a day, but every brick they make is one more brick to help pay off the interest debt and maybe pay off the capital as well. And they don't realise that even if their sons and their daughters are working seven days a week with them instead of going to school, they are never, ever, ever going to pay off that debt. And the other thing is that when they die in debt, the debt gets passed on to their children. So this is not just as close to slavery as you can find, but it's generational slavery. You know, the average debt uh, is 2,500 Australian dollars. In James's case, the debt was uh, $4,000. And uh, after the debt was paid, that photo on the right has James smiling. He's still working for the brick kiln owner. He doesn't have anywhere else he can, uh, he can work. But he's back to working six days a week and his children uh, are going to school and he believes that there's a future. And so we work with them not only to pay off their debt, but to help them uh, in situations so that they won't get indebted again. Joseph was sold into slavery and, and when he went, went, down to jo went down to Egypt, we find that um, he was put in charge of Potiphar's house. And those of us who know the story know that uh, Joseph was a strapping young lad and Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife uh, was lusting after Joseph. But Joseph was honourable. And Joseph said, why would I uh, dishonour Potiphar who's given me such a place of honour? So he refuses her advances 
And the Bible says that she pursued him relentlessly. And one day he fled from her presence and uh, she kept the robe that he was carrying, holding on to. And because what she was doing was now exposed, she decided to frame Joseph. And so she cries the alarm, look, this Joseph has tried to seduce me. And uh, Potiphar was furious and threw him into jail. Joseph was framed. Uh, Christians today around the world are framed because they're not liked uh, by people uh, with whom they live. On the screen is a photo on the right of a lady some of you may have heard of. Who's heard of Asia Bibi from Pakistan? Some of you have done so. Asia Bibi was on death row in Pakistan for nine years uh, on a trumped-up charge, a framed charge, that she had blasphemed the Prophet Muhammad. And uh, on the left, you see a photo of her husband uh, outside a house that Barnabas Fund helped support uh, in addition to providing some food parcels for he uh, and their children. You see, he had to go into hiding because he's the husband of a blasphemer and the children are children of a blasphemer and how dare you? And so they had to go into, into a safe place. And she was on death row for nine years until October of last year when the Supreme Court of Pakistan, the highest court in the land, uh, made up all of Muslim uh, judges... Uh, looked at the evidence and they said there is not one shred of genuine evidence against her. This is a trumped-up charge. She is not a blasphemer. She's free to go. And you might remember what happened when she was freed. She had to go into hiding because the mob were threatening to kill her. There were riots on the street. There were Christians in Pakistan who were wondering whether the price of Asia Bibi's freedom was the cost of my life because the mob were out there against Christians. Thankfully, there are no reports of that having happened. The judges' lives were threatened. Uh, the life of her lawyer, uh, a Muslim man, uh, was threatened. There's a photo of him on the screen. Uh, when you give thanks for Asia Bibi and her family, will you pray for her lawyer, uh, Saif al-Maluk, a Muslim man who, uh, whose life was threatened because he acted for a blasphemer. He needed to flee Pakistan for some time after the verdict. And he's now acting for a Christian couple, uh, also on death row. They've been on death row in Pakistan for four years uh, on alleged um, blasphemy charges. Uh, they are alleged to have sent blasphemous text messages uh, to some Muslims. Uh, the only problem is that uh, they're both illiterate. They can neither read nor write. Um, and they were both incapable of having sent such text messages. So when the allegations were made and the husband and wife were brought in, uh, you can imagine how distraught they were and they're worried about their children. So the husband thought, if I confess, even though I didn't do it, if I confess, then I will be put to death, but my wife will be freed to look after our children. So he confessed. But instead of freeing his wife, they used that confession against both of them and they are both on death row. Again, this same Muslim lawyer says, the charges are trumped up and he's acting for them. Will you pray for, for those uh, on death row in Pakistan? Pray for this man, a courageous man of the Islamic faith, and as well as thanking God for him, will you also pray that he might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we find that those things uh, also happen in the world today. And so going through the story, we're going to go through the rest of the Joseph story fairly quickly. Uh, Joseph is ultimately released from prison uh, he's uh, made in charge of Egypt behind Pharaoh, like the, the uh, Prime Minister. Uh, we find that um, 
Uh, if you can advance that one, you, that would be great, thanks. Uh, it's a bit hit and miss with the, with the batteries today. Uh, Joseph's brothers are reunited with Joseph and they find refuge in Egypt. And one more, if you wouldn't mind. And we see there that Jacob also finds refuge uh, in Egypt. And uh, everything's great until the old man dies. And so as the slide says, after Jacob's death, Joseph's brothers are concerned that Joseph may turn on them. You see, Joseph and his brothers have been reunited. Uh, Joseph has forgiven them. Uh, Jacob's come down. There was a great famine uh, throughout that land. And so uh, Jacob's been, Joseph rather has been used to save, to rescue his family. And uh, everything's great until Jacob dies. Now, I was a lawyer, as uh, Chris said, and one of the things we used to say as lawyers was where there's a will, there's a relative. You see, we know that in the best of families that when someone dies, uh, things can go wrong. And so Joseph's brothers uh, figured that uh, maybe he will take it out on us. I'll give this one more go. There we go. Look at that. And so reading from Genesis, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. He didn't, they're just saying he did. Uh, this is what you are to say to Joseph, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. He wept because he had really forgiven them. He wept because this was a done deal. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid, I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly uh, to them. That's where many people finish with the Joseph story. It's a great place to finish, isn't it? Because we see that Joseph declares those great words, what you meant for harm, God used for good, the saving of many people. That those people out there, they might be wanting to harm me, but God can use that for good. Persecuted Christians today know that that's the case. And when they ask that we would pray, they don't ask that we pray that the persecution would stop, they ask that we pray that they would be found faithful and that the persecutors would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the story of Joseph doesn't finish there, though. Let me read uh, from the, the last chapter of Genesis. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machi, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Uh, if you wouldn't mind advancing that, that would be good. Thank you. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And again, thank you. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. You see, Joseph knew that there was a destiny beyond their present circumstances. Uh, he knew that it wasn't God's ultimate plan, that whilst God had provided for the, the rescuing of his family, 
for the salvation, in a sense, of the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the line from which the Lord Jesus Christ would ultimately be born. Whilst Joseph knew that the salvation of his family was God's immediate purpose, he knew there was a destiny beyond their present circumstances. He knew that there was a destiny in the land of promise. And, you know, even today, those who are persecuted for their faith know that there is a destiny beyond their present circumstances. Revelation 6, starting at verse 9, says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, uh, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. There is a destiny for persecuted Christians beyond their present circumstances. And the good news for every one of us today is this, and we're going to close with some more verses from Revelation. There is also a destiny beyond our present circumstances for every one of us who is truly a child of the living God because of Jesus Christ, his son. For those of us who are truly brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, for those of us who are truly children of the living God, there is also a future, a destiny beyond our present circumstances so that towards the end of Revelation, John says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne uh, saying, thank you. Uh, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you. Uh, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. There is a destiny for you and for me beyond our present circumstances, no matter how hard or comfortable they are. There is a destiny uh, which will be found in Jesus Christ. And so Revelation ends with these words, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon, amen, come, Lord Jesus, to which we add the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the deposit of your Holy Spirit as a guarantee that all of your promises will come true. Thank you for the brotherhood and sisterhood that we enjoy because of Jesus. Thank you that we can boldly enter the throne of grace, knowing that in Christ Jesus we have a great high priest who intercedes for us at your seat, Father God. As we meet together today, we think of our own circumstances, but we also think of the circumstances of those who suffer for their faith. Thank you that there is a destiny beyond their present circumstances. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that is a destiny which all who are your children because of Jesus Christ will enjoy. Amen.